Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Ambiguity can be a wonderful thing in cinema. It allows people to bring their own experiences to movies and draw their own conclusions as a result, often inviting spirited, healthy debate in the process. But you know what? Sometimes people are just flat out wrong about a movie scene and they misinterpret the author's true intent in a way which might even end up altering their opinion on the entire movie. Now don't feel bad though because misinterpretations like this are very, very common indeed, but ultimately they weren't actually what was intended by those in charge. So let's take a look at them as I'm Jules, this is WhatCulture.com, and these are 10 movie scenes everyone always gets wrong. Number 10. Andrew wasn't really rushing or dragging. Whiplash. The most famous scene in the tenacious Oscar-winning Whiplash sees ruthless jazz instructor Terence Fletcher become increasingly frustrated with student Andrew as he seemingly fails to match his tempo. Throughout this gut-wrenching scene, Fletcher calls Andrew out for either rushing or dragging to his beat. And to the layperson, it seems that while Fletcher may be an absolute asshole, he's also a strident perfectionist above all else. But one curious fan actually decided to take a deep dive into the scene and analyse Andrew's timing for themselves. And as it turns out, he's actually pretty much spot on, and Fletcher is just calling him out as a rusher or a dragger willy-nilly, presumably in order to get a rise out of him. While the film makes no secret of Fletcher's near-psychopathic desire to push his students to greatness, many nevertheless assumed his critique of Andrew's drumming was in fact correct. Ultimately, Fletcher's method of testing Andrew's patience and commitment to perfection is defined by one line late into the movie. There are no two words in the English language more harmful than good job. Number 9. Jango Fett's head flies out of the helmet. Star Wars Episode 2 Attack of the Clones. Ever since the release of Star Wars Attack of the Clones, fans have speculated about the scene where Mace Window parts Jango Fett's head from his body with a swift slash of his purple lightsaber. Moments later, we see a young Boba Fett pick up his father's helmet, causing many to note an apparent mistake, given that Jango's head should have still been within the helmet, right? Though this gaffe resulted in a hilarious R-rated fan edit, it's also easily resolved if you actually just pay attention to the scene in question. Because when Windu delivers the killing blow, there's a fleeting shot where the shadow of the helmet can be seen as it flies through the air. You might also notice here that there's a second shadow, which is clearly Jango's decapitated head flying out of the helmet, ensuring that Boba but doesn't get an added grisly surprise when he picks it up. It's still a disturbing scene, mind you, but not quite as unsettling nor as mistake-laden as fans seem to think it is. Number 8. Two-Face's coin flip isn't what you think. Batman Forever 
Comic book fans have plenty of issues with Joel Schumacher's Batman Forever, not least its treatment of iconic villain Two-Face. And one scene in question that really riles up the fans involves Two-Face and the Riddler invading Wayne Manor, where they blow up the Batcave, shoot Bruce, and take Dr. Chase Meridian with them. In the comics, Two-Face is noted for flipping a coin to decide a victim's fate and accepting the outcome no matter what. But in this scene, we see him flip a coin three times until he gets the outcome that he desires, allowing him to fire a shot at Bruce. But there's actually an alternate explanation for this scene, that Harvey Dent is actually flipping the coin each time for a different person currently inside Wayne Manor, Alfred, Chase, and finally Bruce. Now, if that sounds far-fetched, remember that Aaron Eckhart's Two-Face did the exact same thing in the climax of The Dark Knight, flipping his coin three times in quick succession to determine the fates of Batman, himself, and Jim Gordon's son. Number 7. Upham isn't a coward, he's the viewer, saving Private Ryan. One of the many, many disturbing sequences in Saving Private Ryan sees Corporal Upham paralyzed with fear while his comrade Private Mellish is overpowered and slowly stabbed to death by a German soldier. Now, The common audience response to this scene, sadly, is that they find Upham's actions inexplicable, that his failure to save his teammate is an act of abject cowardice, and that we, the audience, would never behave in such a way. Except we most certainly probably would. The entire point of this scene, as is missed by so many, is that the average human being thrust into war would likely freeze up just as Upham did. Our knee-jerk revulsion to his inaction only underlines the part of ourselves that we prefer not to actually confront, that in a traumatic situation, heroism would actually be the last thing on our minds. To say that Upham picks up the idiot ball in this scene is to bafflingly gloss over the effects of trauma on the human psyche. Number 6. Tom has probably learned nothing at the end. 500 Days of Summer Though 500 Days of Summer announces not to be a love story at its very beginning, it's also fair to say that most viewers seem to misinterpret the movie's emotional throughline, blaming Summer for her and Tom's breakup despite Tom clearly having unrealistic expectations from the outset. Even Gordon Levitt himself called Tom selfish in a recent interview, agreeing that he is effectively the villain of this movie. But the end of the film goes one step further by having Tom move on from Summer and meet a new romantic interest named Autumn. While a super official reading would say that this is a mere cute wink to the audience that Tom has moved on to somebody new, an altogether darker interpretation is that Tom actually hasn't grown as much as he thinks he has. The fact that the film's ongoing day counter resets from 500 to 1 seems to suggest that he's going to repeat a similar cycle with Autumn. And this isn't to say that Tom didn't learn anything from his time with Summer, but that he may well fall into a similar pattern of unhealthy, obsessive romantic behaviour with this new prospect. Again, as stated before, it isn't a love story. Number 5. Superman Didn't Make the Earth Spin Backwards Superman Few who've seen Richard Donner's original 1978 Superman will forget the iconic scene where an enraged Superman turns back time in order to undo Lois Lane's death. Superman is seen flying around the Earth to reverse time, and because we're shown Earth spinning backwards on its axis, many chose to believe that the Man of Steel literally exerted enough force on the planet itself to reverse the flow of time. But you know what? The real answer is a lot simpler and less silly than that. Superman is actually flying around the Earth in order to reach the speed of light, allowing him to travel back through time, not to pull the Earth back through time. It's still relatively ridiculous, of course, but it actually makes far more sense. Now, showing the Earth rotating backwards is just an easy visual shorthand to explain to the audience what's going to happen, though it's at least easy to appreciate why so many people have gotten the scene wrong over the decades. Number 4. The ending doesn't glorify Jordan, it criticizes the audience, the Wolf of Wall Street. 
The Wolf of Wall Street was another expertly crafted winner for Martin Scorsese, though invited spirited discussions about the tone and intent of the entire piece, which some criticised as overtly glorifying Wall Street fraudster Jordan Belfort. Especially polarising was the film's final scene, where Jordan is released from prison and embarks on a new career hosting seminars on sales techniques to regular people. Many have interpreted the scene in which he asked the gawking audience to try and sell him a pen as effectively deifying him as a one-in-a-million talent with a peerlessly unique knack for salesmanship. But you know what? The scene isn't actually doing that at all. Really, the ending is a critique of the audience, both those there at the seminar and those watching the movie, who hang on his every word and find his story of crooked greed aspirational. Scorsese's final pan to a sea of blank, clueless faces is a pitch-perfect reflection of the movie's audience themselves and that if we found Jordan's personality charming or his chaotic lifestyle appealing, his sale pitch clearly worked on us too. Number 3. Bonnie discarding Woody doesn't sour Toy Story 3. Toy Story 4 Though fans were pleasantly surprised by the wildly unnecessary Toy Story 4, there were nevertheless those who expressed frustrations at the actions of young Bonnie, who, despite inheriting Woody from Andy at the end of the third film, ends up neglecting him in the follow-up. Some went as far as to call Bonnie the real villain of Toy Story 4, which is incredibly cruel, that in discarding Woody and moving on to the other toys, she not only broke her promise to Andy, but actively soured the perfect ending of Toy Story 3 in the process. But neither of these claims are actually true at all, beyond the fact that it's ridiculous to hold a small child to account for such a benign promise. It's important to remember that while it was a huge passing of the torch moment for Andy and the audience, it was actually likely a minor footnote for Bonnie. It's unreasonable to expect a young child to remain attached to one toy indefinitely. And in the end, Bonnie's abandonment of Woody only allowed him to realize his own sense of agency outside of ownership, becoming a lost toy capable of charting his own path. As wonderfully bittersweet as Toy Story 3's ending was, expecting Bonnie to be Andy 2.0 was obscenely optimistic, if not flat-out unfair. Number 2. Black Widow calls herself a monster for being an assassin. Avengers Age of Ultron Avengers Age of Ultron received a ton of blowback upon its release, as many fans took issue with the scene where Black Widow tells Bruce Banner that she was sterilized as part of the Black Widow program, only to follow up by calling herself a monster. Now, While you can't really blame people for not giving Joss Whedon the benefit of the doubt here, and the scene absolutely should have been handled more tactfully, the intent isn't at all to imply that she's an abomination because she can't bear children. To quote her exact dialogue, they sterilize you. It's efficient. One less thing to worry about. About. The one thing that might matter more than a mission makes everything easier, even killing. You still think you're the only monster on the team? If you actually break down the exchange, it's clear that Natasha is referring to herself as a monster only in the context of being a blunt object, a hired assassin shaped to murder people above everything else. If she's a monster at all, it's because of the countless people that she's killed, and obviously all of the red in her ledger, not about being unable to bear children. And number one, Jimmy doesn't commit suicide, Quadrophenia. Cult classic drama Quadrophenia concludes with an ending which, depending on your viewpoint, is either ambiguous or absolutely cut and dried. In the final scene, protagonist Jimmy is seen riding a scooter to the edge of Beachy Head before we cut to the scooter flying over the cliff, albeit without any sign of what happens to Jimmy. Many, regardless, believe that Jimmy committed suicide by riding his scooter off the cliff edge while forgetting the ever-important fact that Jimmy can be seen standing by the cliff at sunset right at the start of the movie, a scene which clearly takes place chronologically 
chronologically after this scooter ride. Jimmy's survival is backed up not only by the director and the lead actor, but numerous other cast members. The future is still a likely bleak one for him, but immediately less so than hurtling himself into oblivion. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Acast anbefaler. Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skider træt af alle de der podcasts og forklarer meget nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt. Det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lyt til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov og spas med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmangel. 